Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialling their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% of all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Are you suffering from disrupted periods and PMS, which are also disrupting your running schedule? Listen in to find out how balancing blood sugar is the first step towards balancing female hormones and getting your running schedule back on track every day of the month. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionist friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy-to-apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance, and especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. I'm Karen and I'm here once again with Aileen. Hi Aileen, how are you today? Oh, I'm great Karen. I'm really looking forward to our chat today. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm good and again, like you, looking forward to today's episode. But before we start that, um, as always, we're going to share something personal with you all about our running or our nutrition. Now, today's episode is all about um, how disruptive periods can really ruin a woman's training plan, potentially, and indeed, day-to-day life. So, Aileen, just thinking about that, what is your experience of um, sort of your periods uh, in the past? Yeah, well, you know, I didn't take up running until I was sort of approaching perimenopause. But prior to that, um, I'd really had a life of painful periods, you know, from being a, a teenager all the way through. And, and that developed into the really most awful perimenopausal symptoms. And I, and I also developed fibroids and that was awful. Um, and so that sort of like coincided with me being a beginner runner and developing, um, you know, into, you know, doing more distances. And, um, and there were times when, you know, looking back on it, there were times when I really struggled. Um, going about my day to day life was a struggle. Um, and, and also doing any exercising. So, you know, going to the gym, I, I really enjoy hill walking. So going out on the hills, um, doing my running was really difficult, mostly due to, like low energy, had really heavy periods, heavy flow. Um, and so that was really impractical. Um, and my iron levels were critically low. And I remember the doctor testing me and saying, you know, you really 
almost at the point where you could do with the transfusion, which really shocked me. <laughs> you know, no idea that that could, you know, and I think most women just sort of push through, you know, I just thought, oh, well, I'll get terrible periods. I've just got to keep going. No idea that it was that bad. Um, so not really memories I enjoy looking back on. Um, and, you know, training for races, it was I remember dreading that my period would arrive around about a race day because it was all very erratic. I could never plan it. Mm. Um, so that was all pre-nutrition, you know, pre-nutrition training and, um, you know, what I learned when I was studying and, and since I've been practicing is that I, I know that, you know, there is a different way and I'm really keen to share that knowledge about how women can over, overcome disrupted periods so that women of any age I can really reclaim those days of their life every month because, um, you know, it's a, a month of potentially some downtime and you, you don't need that for everything. You know, you want to be working to optimal levels every day for everyday life and running. So, yeah, I've, I've got quite a backstory when it comes to that. Yes, what, you have, Ailey, and it sounds, mm, as though, it sounds quite distressing at times for you. Yeah, well, yeah, and I think also what it means is that you can really empathize with people and speak from experience regarding the subject, actually, which is 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 great to have, although awful for you to experience, mm. but great to be able to to pull on your own experiences when when discussing this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And what about you, Karen? What, what's your experience been? Well, I have to say, Eileen, that my experience um, of the menstrual cycle and perimenopause has been really quite different from yours, to be honest. Um, and, and actually listening to your story, Eileen, I feel that I've been really lucky to have come through the whole period, so to speak, of my life with um, with very little symptoms, I would say. I would Probably the most symptoms I used to experience in my younger years when I was having the menstrual cycles were a, a, maybe a few cramps and some slight changes to my daily stools during certain times of, um, of the cycle. But but little else really, and it didn't tend to stop me doing anything. Um, when I moved into perimenopause, I think really the biggest inconvenience for me there was the unpredictability and the heaviness of the periods like you were saying you experienced, um, um, which I, and I hadn't been used to any of this, so it was quite significant for me. Um, and, and like you, Elaine, I was always hoping that it just wouldn't occur on race day. Um, but, but it did tend to disturb my trainings at times because, like I say, the flow could be really heavy, unpredictable. And sometimes I just couldn't go out running. It was too, too big a risk. Mm. But, but then moving on and since menopause, all of that has sort of changed again. And, um, most of the symptoms have alleviated apart from maybe the occasional hot flush or or night sweats so but overall i i feel really lucky having listening listened to your story but also um lots of other client stories as well so mm. so anyway let's move on and sort of look at um the episode for today so we've what we've done is we've decided to talk about blood sugar balance because it is a foundational part of great health and if it isn't in balance may potentially lead to many health concerns and um, as female runners I think there are three areas which potentially 
can affect any of us if blood sugar balance is out of sync. So the three areas I'm thinking about are the energy dips. So feeling that we just haven't got the energy we require to enjoy our running, weight gain, especially around the middle, um, which could make us feel heavy and sluggish, therefore impact our running um, performance, and also the disrupted uh, female hormones. And that can result in symptoms such as PMS, the period pains, the heavy flow we've been speaking about, but also um, conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, and, and also fertility issues as well. And they're all very concerning and potentially disruptive to our running plans throughout each month. So it could quite have quite dramatic effects, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, people might remember that a couple of episodes ago, we were talking about managing menstrual cycle. That was episode 39. And um, during that episode, we man- we mentioned that balancing blood sugar was one of the foundational nutritional strategies that people can uh, implement to support female hormone health. So we just thought it was a good idea to focus on this today, um, mainly because an imbalance in female hormones may, may lead to this disrupted menstrual cycle with the things that you, you mentioned, Karen, the PMS, the pain, the cramps, the heavy flow. And, you know, all of that, as I said earlier, you know, many women just tend to think, well, that's it. We've just got to get on with it. Um, but it actually does lead to a very disrupted running schedule and that can ultimately impact our performance and our enjoyment um so so yeah this is if you if you want if you're interested in this subject pop back and listen to episodes uh, 39 and that will give you a sort of supplementary information which might be helpful yeah, absolutely, Aileen. That's great. And so, so really sort of coming back to the episode today, what our focus is going to be is um, we're going to look at how blood sugar imbalance affects the female hormones, then sort of look at the key steps that you could easily implement to support that blood sugar balance and balancing the female hormones, and then go on to look at insights into a low GL, so that glycemic load eating plan. But before we dive into the female hormones in depth, Aileen, could you just give us a quick overview of what blood sugar balance is? Yeah, happy to. I think that's a a good way to start. Mm -hmm. So um, it's really, you know, starting with a bit of basic biology and and most of you um, who are listening may already know this, um, but it's uh, it's always good, I think, just to remind ourselves of of what's going on. Um, So basically, when we eat carbohydrate foods, the carbohydrate is broken down into glucose molecules by the digestive system. It's absorbed into our bloodstream and then the glucose is transported uh, by insulin, which is released from the pancreas to be used for energy by all the cells in the body. Um, and if there's any excess energy not required for immediate use by the cells, the body stores um, that energy as glycogen um, in the liver, the muscles and the fat cells. And I think glycogen is uh, something that we all know about, uh, but that's basically how it gets there. And then when the body requires energy away from mealtimes, um, we draw on these stores um, so that's the, 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 the sort of the balance bit. The idea is that we should have enough blood sugar for our immediate requirements. And then the body converts glycogen to glucose when we need it. So like during a long endurance run, you know, when we're, we're running out of energy, the body says, I'm going to give you some more and it's converted. And that's what gives us the energy to keep running. Um, 
So the blood sugar imbalance is when we either have too much or too little blood sugar circulating. Um, so the question really is, is why does this happen? So the too much blood sugar circulating usually happens when um, if we eat a large amount of carbohydrate, either in one meal or if we're constantly grazing or eating or drinking too many carbohydrates or sugary foods or drinks. And that can lead to us having a lot of blood sugar circulating and, and that can be potentially dangerous. Um, so to, to try and keep the body in balance, what the pancreas does is respond by releasing more insulin um, to remove the excess sugar out of the bloodstream. And it can do this really quickly. Um, and that can sometimes lead to a low blood sugar. So we're in a situation where we have high blood sugars, we've eaten a lot of carbohydrate, insulin kicks in, it might you know, be a bit dramatic, and it might then take us into a low blood sugar. And that's also, um, it's often described as the blood sugar roller coaster, constantly getting those highs and lows. Um, and also too little blood sugar can occur if we go for very long periods between meals. Uh, and I'm talking about, you know, the six to eight hours or more. And it's variable because um, some people are able to adapt. Um, and there's a lot of people follow time restrictive eating. I'm, I'm one of them. Um, so I, I can go quite long periods of time um, without eating uh, most days, but some days I don't. Um, and I have to really tune into how I feel and what my body needs. Um, so when you're doing time restricted eating, you're choosing not to eat for prolonged periods. And often that's without any ill effects. Um, but there's also some external factors like stress, which can disrupt blood sugar balance. So, you know, it can be complex, but it can also be very simple. And hopefully today we're going to try and make it simple for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And I really like the um, the idea of the roller coaster. I think it's a really good description of how we feel when blood sugar is imbalanced, you know, the ups and downs all the time. And this is and sort of alongside that imbalance, people generally feel tired. They they might have the energy slumps, be it sort of late afternoon or after a big meal. And quite often they can feel really jittery and have cravings uh, on that low part of the of that roller coaster. And when you've got the, the cravings and you've got the low blood sugar, that's when you're driven then to eat the carbohydrates to relieve these feelings. And then you go back into that high which may feel great, like you were saying, Aileen, it'll go up high. But 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 that's real that good feelings then short lived as the insulin kicks in that you were speaking about. And then the the sugar levels drop to a low again. And it can be a really vicious cycle uh, leading from the the high carb meals to sugary snacks on to to the drinks that that people eat and um, consume. Yeah, and I think also apart from the feelings and symptoms that you mentioned there, Karen, you know, they they can feel very unpleasant. Um, this roller coaster is is doing damage, and it's really setting us up for the hormonal imbalances that we've mentioned, and metabolic conditions and diseases like insulin resistance and type two diabetes, um, just to mention a few. Um, and so the insulin re resistance that really occurs when we've been on this roller coaster consistently over a long period of time, uh, consuming high amounts of carbohydrate and sugary foods. And what happens is the body cells become resistant to noticing the signals from insulin. 
So the, the cells don't let the insulin in, uh, hence, you know, it's called resistance. So the more, more and more insulin is released by the pancreas in attempt to lower the blood sugar. And so we might end up in a situation where we've got both high blood sugar and high insulin, uh, both of which are potentially health damaging. Mm, absolutely. And Ailey, we've we've talked about this blood sugar roller coaster leading to the to, to the blood sugar imbalance, the, the highs and the lows. But how would people know if they have a blood sugar imbalance? And if they do, what 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 is the opposite of the blood sugar roller coaster? So you've got the blood sugar imbalance, but what is the opposite to that? Yeah, well, that's a, a really good question, Karen. So that I think there's basically two ways of assessing blood sugar imbalance. The first would involve a blood test and the second would involve assessing your symptoms, the symptoms that you mentioned earlier. Um, so with regarding testing, you could ask your GP or doctor to do a test or there's lots of um, very easily accessible private tests around home testing kits that you can do. Um, so the blood glucose indicates your blood sugar within a set number of hours or there's something called the HB1AC test and that's indicating your blood sugar over a three-month period. Um, and also for people that require to monitor the blood glucose daily, so people that are maybe uh, diabetic, for instance, um, there's various different testing equipment that can be easily used. Um, but I would say for most people, you know, and I, I guess that for the majority of people listening to us, um, if you assess your symptoms and your eating habits, that would be a really good starting point. Um, so I would say um, think about your body composition. So um, are you overweight? Have you noticed that you're gaining weight around the middle? Um, there's um, something called TOFI, thin outside and fat inside. So, you know, you can have a blood sugar imbalance and still be slim um, because, because of the types of food that you're eating. Um, and there's also something called the VF rating, the visceral fat rating. So if you've got um, specialist scales like Tanita scales, that might actually give you your VF rating and, and you want to have, you know, well, the health range is below 12. But I would say really six or seven is probably a healthy rating um, to, to look for. And often with clients, um, I focus on that as a measurement rather than weight. Um, and it is something that you can really influence with um, a low G GL food plan that we're going to talk about. Uh, the other things that you can look at are, have you got cravings? Are you craving the carbs, the sugary foods and the drinks? Um, are you having the energy slumps one to two hours after eating that you mentioned, Karen? Are you tired all the time? Um, you know, just can't, don't have to get up and go. Um have you got a low, low mood? Are you irritable? And then there's all the female menstrual symptoms that we've mentioned. And, and that's really the, the focus of today, because I don't think many people make the connection between all these menstrual symptoms and an imbalanced blood sugar. Um, so all of these things that I mentioned would point to signs of, of imbalance. Yeah, so those are all sort of signs of imbalance, ailing. But I'm just thinking of the flip side of that. So if you wake up feeling refreshed, if you're feeling energetic all day, and maybe naturally tired at the end of the day, but not overtired, and 
Also, if you're a healthy weight, you have a low waist to hip measurement of around 0.80 and also minimal menstrual symptoms. Um, and even your mood and is, is stable and you're eating a healthy diet, you have no cravings, um, then it is most likely that your, your um, blood sugars are, are balanced. And that's where you want to be. You're not in this roller coaster that we were speaking about uh, earlier. Everything is on an even keel. So that's where the flip side of what you were saying, Aileen, and where we would like to be and like all of you to be. So, so Aileen, let's go on now and um, delve into how blood sugar affects the female hormones. And remember, the reason that we're talking about this is that many female runners find that their run training is disrupted every month by their periods due to the hormonal imbalances. But if you address these imbalances, it could be that you have a, a much smoother cycle um, and can be able to enjoy your running throughout the month without any interruption. So Aileen, over to you. Okay. So so yeah, there are some concepts to consider when thinking about hormones. And I think the first thing to consider is that we're in for balance. So with hormones, it's it's all about having balance and it's about having just enough of each hormone to do its job and they usually work in relationship to other hormones. Um, the second thing to think about is harmony. So we, we often think about the main sex hormones as being estrogen, progesterone and testosterone. But we've got to remember that they're influenced by many other hormones. Um, hormonal experts talk about the hormonal system as being complex and that hormones communicate with each other to regulate function and balance. And an analogy that's often made is that we're aiming for this orchestral symphony with all the hormones working in tune and working together. So you can't think about things in isolation when you're looking at um, hormonal balance. Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. As you, as you say, hormones don't work alone. And I think one of the big disruptors to sex hormones is stress. So the, you know, the adrenal hormones, which re regulate our response to stress are, are produced from the same building blocks um, that we require for sex hormones. So, but because the stress hormones are pr prioritized before the sex hormones, it's, it, it, um, it, if there's a high amount of building blocks, then they're diverted to making the stress hormones therefore there's less available for the sex hormones which inevitably is going to lead to that imbalance um, and just another quick point actually before we move on is that the body requires the ability to dispose of or excrete excess or old hormones which are in circulation and with and the aim of this is to achieve hormone balance so optimal digestion is is also key so for example a regular bowel movement and also good liver health is going to be key here as well for eliminating these excess and old hormones yeah so it's, it's uh, you know as you say there's external influences and there's also in internal influences that um, we can take care of that will help our, our overall hormone health so so let's highlight some of the potential hormonal issues that blood sugar balance may have on on our uh, female sex hormone balance um, so the first one that comes to mind is chronic inflammation so when you're in a high blood sugar situation that may contribute to chronic inflammation and, and one impact of inflammation 
is that it might make the hormone receptors unresponsive to the hormone molecules, which obviously limits um, their job. So a little bit like the insulin resistance, the receptors aren't listening. And um, so you might be making hormones, but nothing's happening. Um, another area that um, the blood sugar imbalance can impact on is producing high levels of testosterone. So most of us will think of testosterone as being a male hormone, but actually we do have some testosterone as women. Um, and a high blood sugar tends to lead to raised testosterone levels in women. It's actually the opposite way around in men. Um, so we've been talking about how high blood sugar triggers high insulin, and it's the high insulin levels that lead to the ovaries producing more testosterone. And that can lead to conditions like PCOS, so polycystic ovary syndrome, and symptoms like excess hair on the face and the belly and sometimes acne as well. Um, so, you know, it's, you know, it can be a really troubling condition um, for women. Um, and often when PCOS is diagnosed, um, the, the medics will note that the patient's got a combination of things like a high glucose level, the high HB1AC that I mentioned earlier, high insulin, high testosterone. Uh, and often um, women would be advised to lower the blood sugar levels as a first step in their plans to resolve PCOS. And that also supports in sensitizing the insulin receptors. So that's the more serious end of what the high testosterone uh, can do yeah absolutely Aileen you're speaking about higher um, testosterone but you can actually get this estrogen dominance dominance situation as well and that high blood sugar can be a contributor to estrogen dominance and what I mean by that it's when um, a woman has normal or excessive less levels of estrogen but little to no counterbalancing hormones so that progesterone to mitigate the estrogenic effects on the body so like you were saying earlier alien it's about the balance of these hormones it's about the symphony of these um of these hormones and um and testosterone is, is higher up the hormonal production pathway than estrogen. So if you have high testosterone levels, it may lead to high, higher estrogen levels because there is more building block materials available to produce the estrogen. So likely that estrogen levels are out of balance with progesterone, if that makes sense. And I think some of the effects of this estrogen dominance are um, the likes of the heavy periods, the fibroids, and, and potentially some of the estrogenic cancers have been associated with this estrogen dominance state as well. And I think also worth mentioning here is the importance of the body being able to dispose of the excess or old hormones. So we, again, don't have too many hormones in circulation. Now, I'm thinking here, I don't know if many people will have heard of the sex hormone binding globulin. Um, now, it's, um, it's a protein that's made by the liver and it binds excess estrogen and testosterone in the blood so um so it won't be used but when insulin spikes as we were talking about earlier alien it may lead to lower levels of sex hormone binding globulin being produced so when that 
sex hormone binding globulin is low, then the circulating estrogen and testosterone may be higher. So there's there's that link there. High high insulin means low sex hormone binding globulin, which means high estrogen and testosterone. Yeah, I mean, it's really um, fascinating, Karen, all these different influences that just by having an imbalanced blood sugar, what it leads to and how the knock-on effects of that is down the line with our, our hormonal health and the symptoms that we might be experiencing every every month. And, you know, we've already mentioned the stress hormones taking priority over the sex hormone production. Um, but it's also important to note that when we're in a state of stress um, or having stimulants like sugar, alcohol or caffeine, the body will also be triggered to produce cortisol, which is a stress hormone, and that raises the blood sugar. So, you know, it's, it's really important to note that blood sugar balance can be influenced by these external factors as well as uh, what you're eating. Um, and I've got a, a, a client that I've worked with for many years. It's a gentleman, actually. And um, one of the benefits that he's noticed during lockdown is he's not doing as much traveling for business. Mm -hmm. And so he's not racing around the country, going to meetings and his stress levels have really reduced. And that's really helps blood sugar balance. Um, you know, and he's somebody who's, we've done so much work on food over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's the, it's the stress that's actually really helped, um, you know, managing that stress. And as we know, we induce stress just by being a, an endurance runner. We, you know, the, the stress are there, never mind the lifestyle stresses there are. Um, you know, and if you throw um, a few glasses of alcohol or caffeine into the pot, that's going to trigger, um, you know, more problems for us. So, yeah, interesting. Absolutely. And I think that the, the, the influence of stress really is underestimated. It is, it's so, so powerful and can have such knock on and long term effects. So, so I think what really we've, we've spoken about so far, it shows that it, that we're in a complex biological situation every day and that blood sugar is a foundational part of that and a, and a foundational part of getting balance back and um, for managing stress, for managing body composition and even for managing our energy and our hormone levels. So mm -hmm. really quite interesting um, information so far, Aileen. But so sort of moving on, I just wondered if you could briefly outline the key steps from a nutritional lifestyle point of view that you would recommend to help clients balance blood sugar to support their, their female hormones. Yeah, sure. Well, I usually start with eating habits and when you eat. Um, so really focusing on that as a starting point. Um, so the first thing that I would look at is, is somebody eating regularly. And, and for mo most people, that means three meals a day, usually four to five hours apart. Now, you know, not everybody does that. Some people have progress to maybe eating two meals a day uh, and they have slightly longer but you know if you've got an imbalanced situation that's the point I would start as three meals a day um, I really advise people not to graze between meals so try to eat enough at the meals to satisfy you so you don't need snacks so again if somebody's in a really imbalanced situation if they've been used to grazing um, that might be too big a step straight away so we might do a meal, a snack at three hours, then a meal, a snack, etc., until they get into a position that I feel that we can withdraw the snacks um, and get them just on three meals a day. Um, 
so use use snacks strategically so it's not like you can't have them ever but use them particularly if you know a meal time is going to be delayed beyond that five hour point or if you need it to support your running schedule so you know the people that you know a meeting's got in the way or they've got delayed on the way home having that snack available um, so that you don't go into a low blood sugar situation is really important or using a snack to support your running schedule is equally important um, and I also encourage a non-eating window of at least 12 hours between dinner and breakfast and then once people are, are in a situation that they can do all of that um, you know we might amend um, you know the, the plan slightly yeah so 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 really what what the main aim of this regular eating that you're you're speaking about Aileen is to ensure that we're all have, uh, having a, a supply of fuel, an appropriate supply of fuel for immediate needs and avoiding the highs and the lows of, of the blood sugar when you either eat meals and snacks too close together or potentially ha- um, leaving too long gaps between meals. So again, it comes back to the balance, doesn't it? It does. And it, it's really going back to what you were saying, that the flip side of imbalance. So it, it's, um, you know, trying to get consistency so that your body gets used to what's going on and um, you don't get those um, highs and lows and the and the symptoms that we were talking about and mm-hmm. and obviously everybody's different and everybody might need slightly different requirements um, but it, one of the benefits of eating regularly and leaving gaps between meals and snacks is it it not only allows the rest and digest cycle. So, you know, you eat a meal, you give yourself a rest, you go through a whole digestive cycle, and then you eat again. Um, But it also allows the insulin to switch off. So if we're in a situation where we're constantly grazing sugary foods and drinks, and I add drinks in there because sometimes, you know, people are drinking soft drinks all day or fruit juice. um, we, We get into that insulin resistance state that we talked about earlier. So, um, it's really a good practice to get into, you know, training your body to be able to go without food in between meal times. So, so they, then moving on from that, Karen, I would say, you know, once we've gone through the eating habits and when you eat and you've got that sorted, my next next step would really to be looking at what you're eating, um, and the the things that I would focus on there would be. Um, making sure that somebody was eating protein at every meal and snack. And the reason for that is that protein slows down the absorption of glucose into the bloodstream and that supports the blood sugar balance that we're aiming for. Um, Following plate balance. Now, you and I talk about plate balance a lot. And, um, you know, if if you're a regular listener, you'll probably already know this. But the starting point would be um, going for a healthy foundational plate balance, which would be a quarter plate of protein, a quarter plate of low GL carbohydrates, and half a plate of non-root vegetables. Um, and again, if you, if you, anybody's interested in knowing a little bit more, I'd suggest you go back and listen to episode 11, which is Nutrition Basics for All Runners. And this is also a, a really key part of our Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners program, uh, where we, we teach in detail um, what you, you need to do to, to get that in place. Uh, and then finally, um, it's like focusing on portion sizes. Um, so what is a quarter of a plate? What is half a plate? Um, and particularly 
um, choosing these low GL carbohydrates. So that that's a really important part of um, getting to the, the blood sugar balance. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I can uh, really relate to that, Aileen. And, and I'd really like to talk a bit more about choosing the low GL carbohydrates and that part of the plate balance for athletes later on. But for now, I'd, I'd just like to add that um, I think it would be important for people to ensure that they're choosing the whole foods. So avoiding processed foods, so the highly refined foods and thinking about the white flour, the bread, the pasta, the cakes and the pastries, um, because these refined foods get converted to glucose really quickly. So again, may lead to a blood sugar high, whilst the whole foods, they take longer to digest, therefore keep you fuller for longer, um, are more nutrient dense and will help to keep the blood sugar blood sugar even so helping to bring back the balance and also I would say try and minimize the stimulants so for example the alcohol the caffeine and also refined sugars as they can lead to the to a spike in blood sugars and like we mentioned earlier that um, both of us feel is really important is about managing stress because remember that can spike the blood sugar and insulin levels and then finally also thinking about ensuring you have a regular bowel movement every day. So um, aiming to do that by eating natural sources of fibre, for example, vegetables, fruits, whole grains, and also being hydrated. Um, Hydration will um, have a key impact on bowel habits and and good bowel habits are really important in supporting the excretion of those excess sex hormones that we spoke about earlier. So Eileen, just before we move on, I'm just going to do sort of a, a quick a quick summary of what we've spoken about. And I think really the essence of what we've spoken about is is to eat regularly, eat protein at every meal, Follow the plate balance that you talked about, Aileen. Eat whole foods, minimise the stimulants, manage stress, can't emphasise or stress that enough, and um, and avoid a sluggish digestive system, um, uh, and, and which can lead to constipation. So those are the key factors from, from our discussion so far, I think. But before we move on to looking at the low GL food plan, Aileen, shall we just pause for uh, pause our conversation uh, for a short advert break? Yeah, certainly. So this is the, the point of the, the episode where Karen and I just take a minute to um, talk to you a little bit about what we do outside of the podcast. So Karen and I, just like you, we're busy working women. Uh, we run for health, for fitness, for achievement and also for fun. Um, but even as nutritional therapists, we've had our own personal running performance struggles, which we, we share with you in each episode. Uh, but we resolved many of those struggles with really introducing a foundational everyday eating plan and then fine-tuning it with sports nutritional principles. And that's helped us maximize running performance, minimize injury. And um, and when we did all of that for ourselves, we, we turned our food plans into an online program called Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners. Um, so I just wanted to take a minute to just um, explain what that is. It's, it's a short and sweet video program. Uh, you can complete it in 30 minutes a day over two weeks, or you can take as long as you need to because the videos are there for you to watch at any time. Um, so if you've been listening today and thinking that 
I really need help with losing fat around the middle and resolving the hormonal symptoms that we've been talking about. Um, this would be a really great place to start because we, we teach you all our tips to balance blood sugar in this program. And, um, you know, any questions you've got about the low GL food plan will be answered there alongside other things that are really important for a runner like hydration and choosing, um, foods for performance. Um, so you can find all the details at our website, which is runnershealthhub.com. If you look at the top menu bar, uh, click on online program, you'll find everything you need there. And equally, if you've got any questions, uh, email us at hello at runnershealthhub and we'd be happy to help you. Great. Great. Thanks, Aileen. So, um, so moving on and thinking about the low GL eating plan, I find that one of the most common questions we get asked about carbohydrate is how much should I eat and how does that fit in with blood sugar balancing? Now, my advice would be the starting point is, like you said, Aileen, is about eating quarter of the plate of the low glycemic load carbohydrates at each meal uh, for everyday eating and short distance running as well. So, for example, I'm thinking here of under 90 minutes and then adjusting the carbohydrate in line with your current training plan. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'd agree with that. Um, I would just like to sort of say that if your goal is to lose weight, you might require less than a quarter of a plate of low GL carbohydrates in those circumstances. So I think, it, you know, it's good to, um, you know, that's the starting point for most people. And if you're somebody who's been overeating carbohydrates, then maybe starting at a quarter of a plate is good and then reducing it if you've got a weight loss goal um, on those sort of everyday um exercise days um so it's, it's probably a good time karen just to recap on what a low GL carbohydrate is mm-hmm. um because uh you know there's sometimes confusion out there so the gl stands for glycemic load in, in the portion or in a portion of food um and some foods have a high gl load and some foods have a low gl load so typically um the things like you mentioned earlier, kind of like the the refined carbohydrates, um, a high GL. So things like the white breads, pastries, pasta, biscuits, cakes, sweets, um, the high sugar um, foods like tropical fruits, dried fruits, soft drinks, alcohol, and also some of the starchy root vegetables. There can be high GL too. Um, and the low GL carbohydrates tend to be the whole grain, so whole grain bread, pasta. And the lower sugar fruits, um, and and also veg, you know vegetables that are non-root are low GL too. Yeah, and I think although we are advising to to minimise the high GL foods, that you know they're not entirely off limits. It's just that it's best to have smaller portions. I think there are some high GL foods like say white rice, medjool dates, honey, and bananas. So so natural sources um, of of um, quick release carbohydrates, which are great quick release foods for runners. But I think the trick is to use them strategically with your running nutrition plan. So depending on what your training is, so um, you're repleting those glycogen stores, but not necessarily disrupting your overall blood sugar balance. So they do have a place. But as we always say, it's about using them strategically. 
Yeah, I think that's a really important message that you can have these foods and they can support your your running uh, nutrition plan, but you need to use them in the best possible way and, and not all the time. Um, so, I mean, one of the ways that we've, we've done this um, is to support our clients is we've got food lists of low and high GL foods. And also we've created our own athlete plate diagrams. So that gives people really easy reference. And that's um, a resource that's part of the Easy Nutrition Healthy Runner program. So the idea is that you choose a plate balance in line with whatever level of training you're doing that day. Uh, and we find that if that makes it easy, you know, you can think, yeah, this is the kind of run I'm doing today. So this is the plate balance and the portion size of carbohydrate that I need. Um, so Karen, I just wondered if you could give us some examples of how a runner could adapt the carbohydrate intake related to training. Yeah, sure, Aileen. Um, okay, let's let's think about um, a runner, first of all, a runner who's doing mostly, say, 5 to 10k training runs, maybe with a longer run once a week, building up to maybe a half marathon. Now, here I would say the foundational healthy eating plate would be fine on most days. So, so you were speaking about the foundational healthy plate earlier, Aileen, where you've got half your plate of vegetables, quarter of plate of complex carbohydrates, so the whole grains and root vegetables, and then quarter of a plate of, of protein. But then maybe on longer distance days, um, this runner would need to consider maybe having a quick release carbohydrate during train her training run, plus maybe adjusting the plate balance um, for meals to moderate training so that the carbohydrate portion would become um, and 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 be be filling a third of the plate with protein still being a quarter, but the vegetable portion slightly smaller than half a plate. So, for example, thinking about the carbohydrate intake that would um, relate to maybe 100 grams of brown rice or maybe 150 gram sweet potato. Um, and then again, thinking about the race itself, that may um, require uh, the runner to eat a bit more carbohydrates again, just so that they've got the, the reserves, that glycogen reserves that you spoke about earlier, Aileen. And then maybe just thinking of another type of runner, so maybe one who's um, training for a marathon. Um, now, they would really need to have a higher requirement for carbohydrates. So maybe looking at following the hard training plate of those athletes' plates that we we, we mentioned and, and using the hard training plate on the long endurance runs because they can last sort of two and a half, three, three and a half, four hours. So thinking about half of the plate being carbohydrates and quarter of the plate protein and then the other quarter being the, the non-root vegetables. So and the, but, but still using the foundational plate and um, using those um, on um, sort of low training days or rest days. And that goes for any runner, sort of the foundational everyday nutrition, using those on the on the rest days. So so hopefully that maybe illustrates um, how as a runner we can adjust our carbohydrate consumption in line with our training. Um, and remember that these plates um, are a feature of the Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runner programme that Aileen just spoke about um, earlier. So so that's really, Aileen, kind of brings us towards the end of another great discussion. But just before we close, um, could you just give us a quick overview of what you think are the key takeaways from today? 
Yeah, but um, just before I do that, Karen, it was just popping in my mind to mention a free resource that we have. Again, you'll find it on the website. And, and the reason I was thinking about it is just like thinking about when to choose a quick release carbohydrate snack. Um, so we've got a, a downloadable um, e-guide. And uh, if you look um, at the website on the top menu bar, look for nutrition guide. And if you pop your email in there, you'll get uh, an ebook over to you with a list of lots of different ideas of how you can use um, snacks strategically. So if that's something that a question that you want answering, you might find some information there. Um, so moving on to the key takeaways from today's episode, there's quite a few. Um, so, you know, the overriding one is that balancing blood sugar is foundational to good health and may support a female runner, particularly in the areas of energy, body composition, and balancing female hormones. Um, so you get a lot of what I call bang for your buck. When you, when you balance your blood sugar, it, it really um, helps in lots of different areas. Uh, remember that an imbalance in female hormones may lead to disrupted men menstrual cycle with PMS, pain, cramps, heavy flow, all of which leads to a disrupted running schedule. And it's always just good to remind ourselves this is why we're, we're doing this. It's to make sure that we have a good running schedule and we enjoy it. So the typical signs that you might be experiencing blood sugar imbalance are um, differences in your body composition, being overweight, gaining fat around the middle, etc. Um, having cravings for carbs, sugary foods and drinks, having energy slumps one to two hours after eating, feeling tired all the time, having a low mood and irritability, and then, um, you know, these female menstrual symptoms, which may be quite disruptive. So some of the potential hormonal issues that a blood sugar imbalance may impact on are chronic inflammation, high testosterone, estrogen dominance and suppressed sex hormone binding globulin. So if you choose to introduce a low GL food plan, that's really going to support you balancing your blood sugar and alleviate those menstrual and hormonal symptoms. You can adjust your carbohydrate intake in line with your run training requirements and still balance your blood sugar. Uh, and remember, you know, finally, that female runners often find that their run training is disrupted every month by the periods due to these hormonal imbalances. But if you address them, you may have a much smoother cycle and be able to enjoy your running throughout the month without inter interruption. And I think that would be a fantastic outcome for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Really. And that's what we're all aiming for. So thank you for that. That was really comprehensive. And I'm sure that our discussion today overall will help female runners with with their period problems um, and, and to sort of think about addressing the blood sugar balance as a great foundational step. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And remember, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. 
We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Active Wear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at AmazingJane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.